Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, February 16th, 2020, we continue our series titled, Live Different, the Sermon on the Mount. Today's sermon, The Heart of the Matter, Truth and Grace, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 42. Enjoy. You know, when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, he, uh, you have to keep in mind two things. He was out to convince this group of people of two things that were pretty important, one of which was he had to convince a group of people that thought very highly of themselves that they were not good in and of themselves. See, they did think that. There's a whole group of people called the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They thought that they were living a life a certain way, that they were good enough for God just on themselves. You have a lot of people like that even today. There are a lot of people that think, you know what, I'm better than the average person. I'm better than most people where I work. I'm better than most people in my family. I'm better than most people on my block. Heck, I'm probably better than most people in this room. Doesn't matter. God is not judging you by how are you in relation to other people. He's judging you by his son. So that's one of the things he was out to convince them about. The second thing was he was out to convince them of the other hopelessness of a system, their religious system that they were in that was a system without relationship. In fact, it was so off that they had gotten to the point It was so flawed at this point that they actually started altering God's word. They had taken it and they would sort of interpret it their own sort of way that was most convenient for them and then that's what they would teach. That's how Jesus described their whole religious system in in Matthew chapter 15, verses eight and nine. Listen to the words as he describes the religious system there. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now stop, just for a second, I want you to look at that last line there. The commandments of men. Is there any place ever that God would tell you to follow men? The commandments should be the commandments of God. And yet what happens is, very often, is we will take the things of God and we want to twist them ever so slightly to make them work in our world, to fit us and our lifestyle. That was the problem they had. That's why here in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will say six times, well, you have heard, in other words, you've heard this one version of it, but I say this. So turn over to Matthew chapter five, look at verses 33 through 42. The passage here is gonna be divided up into two parts. The first part here in verses 33 through 37 are gonna be about truth. And then when you get to verses 38 through 42, he's gonna talk about grace. Follow along as I read this, will you? He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Clearly this was before we could, yeah, anyway. Um, (laughs) Verse 37 
Let what you say be simple, uh, simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone will sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, some people would look at the very first part of this passage here as sort of a universal ban on oaths to the point that they would say, if for whatever reason you got called in to testify in a court of law and they wanted to take a statement from you, you shouldn't even put your hand on the Bible and swear. The Quakers believe this, even to this day. They would use many times James chapter 5. It says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, and you will not come under condemnation. The problem is with that is that the whole Bible is actually built on covenants and promises and oaths and vows. At times, vows were even commanded. Numbers chapter 5, verse 19 says, then the priest shall make her take an oath. God himself gave an oath. And by the way, oaths and vows are completely interchangeable. In Genesis 9, verse 11, it says, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 says, when God made a promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. Paul did it. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 20, he said, in what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. The problem wasn't the oaths and the vows and the covenants and the promises. The problem was that according to Matthew chapter 5, people were used, using the, the swearing of things to back up what they were saying when they knew they wouldn't do it. See, the problem here is we're supposed to be people of truth. We're supposed to be believable. People who keep the ninth commandment to not bear false witness, to not, not lie. People who don't have to use God's name to guarantee their words. That's the stage here that we're looking at. Now, when you get to verses 33 through 37, we're gonna see three things here. The first thing you're gonna see in verse 33 here is the interpretation which by the way, in this case, is wrong. Let me read verse 33 again. He says, again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not bear false witness, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And when Jesus says you have, you have heard, remember, he is not quoting the Old Testament. He's referring to the Pharisaical and the rabbinical interpretations of the law. When he actually wants to quote the Old Testament, he'll use these words, it is written. The context here is that the rabbis and the Pharisees were saying, look, if you're gonna take an oath, in the middle of this, you give this oath and you use God's name in the oath, you gotta keep it. But if you make an oath by the temple, you don't have to keep that. You see any problem here? Here's what they're saying. Sometimes you gotta tell the truth. 
Uh, sometimes you don't. Can you imagine telling that to your kids? Hey, you got to tell the truth sometimes. But sometimes you don't. Or your grandkids? Could you see what this would actually do to a moral society? If truth was sort of like negotiable at times? And you only had to, to really hang truth on something if you put God's name in that mix? That became a real problem. It's not supposed to be like that. We should not be okay with dishonesty. And yet, the truth is, we, have a, we struggle with this even today. I mean, think about it relationally. Are there times that we don't tell the truth? Oh, yeah, we're fine. We're good. I'll never see them again. We do it economically? Yeah, technically that was a business lunch. We do it out of convenience. If we look at something and we think, well, that's just inconvenient. I don't want to do that, so I'll just lie. It's just easier not to tell them the truth because I really don't want to go into the truth. We do it to make us look better. Yeah, that fish I caught, that thing was this long. Oh yeah, I'm, I almost turned pro, my knee. There's the kindness lies. Well, I didn't want to hurt their feelings. Well, what'd you do? I lied to them. It sounds good. The truth is it probably functions easier in some ways, but none of it is okay. Paul in Ephesians chapter four, verse 15, gave these simple words. He says, speak the truth in love. That's who we're supposed to be as believers. People who speak truth. Now why is truth and honesty such a big deal to God? If you have your Bible, turn over to Matthew chapter 15. Keep your finger here in Matthew 5, but turn over to chapter 15 for a second. Matthew chapter 15, I want you to look at verse 18. Again, this is Jesus talking here. Verse 18, he says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. You get what he's saying here? He's saying, people, if, if dishonesty comes out of your mouth, dishonesty is in the heart. Well, that's a tough one. Now, the second thing you're going to see here in this passage is in verses 34 and 35 is our accountability. Verse 34, he says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. In other words, we're supposed to be accountable to God for everything. If we swear by heaven, by earth, by Jerusalem, all of it matters. And by the way, this isn't the only time here in the, in the Gospels that Jesus actually confronts the people of Israel over this issue. In Matthew chapter 23, in verses 16 through 22, he says this, and it's, it's kind of a long passage, but he makes the point clear. He says, woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if one swears by the gold in the temple, well, then he's bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? 
And you say, if someone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, well, he's bound by the oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? For whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sets upon it. Jesus' point is any vow you make, even if it's something lower than God, is still in God's presence and is still part of God's possession. And therefore, I'm responsible. Do you realize that, you know, and the hard part here is this, is we have a tendency to, to compartmentalize things in our lives and say, well, that's really important, so I better be truthful. But this over here, it's not so important, so I don't need to be quite so truthful. The problem is, you gotta remember, is that you're not the judge on this stuff. God is. Matthew chapter 12. Turn your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 12. Look at verse 36. Jesus says this, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Want to know what's going to happen on that day? Every single thing that we've said is going to pop up and you're going to go, I, I'm really, I'm an honest person. Oh. I didn't really mean, I, 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 what I meant was, I'm not, I wasn't honest. Now, keep going here, because the third thing you're gonna see here in verses 36 and 37 is Jesus' command to be truthful. Verse 36, back in chapter five, he says this, and do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, let what you say be simply yes or no, and anything more than this comes from evil. In other words, don't say anything that you cannot back up as truth, or anything that you have to use God as a guarantor on. Just speak the truth. Now, you get to verse 38, and Jesus is gonna transition here to being a people of grace. Now, let me read through 38 through 42 one more time again, because it changes gears here. Verse 38 says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go, on, go one mile, go with him two miles and give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, what, what's gonna happen here in this second part in here in 38 through 42 is Jesus is gonna give five scenarios. Each of these are related to personal sacrifice. Each of these are related to being gracious in a situation where you don't necessarily think it should be gracious. Now, let me just be clear and, and clear up one thing though before I go too far. A lot of people have read those verses right there, 38 through 42, and they've used that to sort of take a pacifist position in life. That there shouldn't be any war, you shouldn't resist any evil, you should just be completely a pacifist. Uh, and the reason why I understand that is because I went to a Mennonite college. And it was, uh, I mean, pacifist driven. 
And I can remember having lots and lots of interesting discussions about that. I don't personally believe the Bible is a pacifist book. If you were to go to Ecclesiastes chapter three, you'll see that you know, Solomon wrote there and that and God told him that, that there was a time for war and there was a time to kill. Nobody wants to do that. That's why that time isn't all the time. If you were to go and find out that the one person in the Bible that is so highly regarded that he would be called a man after God's own heart, King David, David was a warrior. Very often people kind of view David in their mind as this young shepherd boy. The truth is David killed more people in the Bible than anybody else. He was a warrior. And you know what? God blessed him in that. God used him to fight battles against evil people and against evil nations, godless nations. God was with him during that time. So I don't think the Bible is a pacifist work at all. The second thing about this particular part of the passage is some people will tend to look at this passage as a way to keep you in an abusive situation. Well, see there it says, you know, if they, if they hit you in the eye and, or they, they slap you on the face, you're supposed to take that. No, let me be really clear here. The Bible never tells you to live in abuse. If you're being abused, let me encourage you to get away from it now. Find yourself a place that is safe. Find you a group of people that will give you good counsel, that will walk with you. And by the way, Romans chapter 13, verse four are very clear about the fact that God uses the government as an instrument, as a servant of his to protect people. If you need to do that, you do that. That's not what Jesus is getting into here. The point that Jesus is making here is he's calling us to be gracious and he's dealing with our natural inclination to get even, to want fairness and justice as a people. Look at scenario number one again, verses 38 and 39. He says, you have heard that it is said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Their, their whole idea was, look, if you put out my eye, it's only right and only fair, I get to put out yours. That's what was being taught. Jesus makes it clear here, though, when you get to verse 39, that you're looking at this the wrong way. He starts off verse 39, he says, but I say to you, and he gives us something different. I'm not asking you to be like the world. I'm asking you to be different. You know, this is gonna be particularly hard for some of you. I mean, I really believe that. I mean, because many of you are justice people. How many of you would say you're a justice person? I know my wife is. Even with me. I mean, we've had many talks about this and I... I go back and forth. I mean, I, I'm probably like the, every other person in here. I, I want justice for that person that cuts me off and I want justice for that you know, person that does this. But when it comes to me, I'd like mercy. <laughs> and grace. See, the problem here is that we're all sinners. We all make mistakes. We all fall short of the standard of heaven. And so an eye for an eye would not be fair, it would be futile. We'd all be blind. 
I mean, Dr. Martin Luther King was right. He says, an eye for an eye leaves the world blind. Because we're just imperfect people. We see this all the time. You know, I don't do nearly the, the marital counseling that I used to. Jeff, you know, does uh, the, the bulk of all that, that now. But I can remember even when I would do this, the issue of fairness is like one of the most, it's the biggest issue that they walk into. People would come into my office and say, well, I did this because they did this. You know what they're saying? Well, it's just fair, right? Or I don't meet their needs because they didn't meet my needs. That's just the way it works. It's fair. I'm just being just. The problem is Jesus is not asking us to be fair and just. That's why Paul could write in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7, when people were suing each other in this whole litigious society thing that was going on in Corinth there, and he says, look, maybe you've been done wrong, but here's my thing. Why don't you just let yourself be done wrong? Instead of fighting it out in the court and dragging down the cause of Christ, just let yourself be done wrong. Be different. Now the second scenario is in verse nine, or 39. He says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now a slap here is, is an interesting thing. I think most of us get this, but the idea of a slap here was not meant to inflict damage. The slap here was to insult you. What Jesus is saying here is, take it. If they insult you, take it. Live with it. How can we do that? How can I take something like that? Well, the scriptures say that I'm supposed to leave fairness and justice to God. Do you realize that's God's role? Romans chapter 12, verse 19 tells us this. He says, beloved, never avenge yourself but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Do you realize what that's saying here? Vengeance is not yours to get. God is saying, stop for a second here. That's my role. You either trust me with that or you have a problem here. But that's my role. 45 times the Bible talks about God's vengeance. Biblically, you know, the simplest way I can say this is this, and, and we've talked about this before, but I believe that what we do is we reach a place where we take people off of our hook and I put them on God's. God, my heart would be to go out and, and get an eye back for the eye that they took from me. But you'll do this better than me and you'll do it the right way and there won't be any emotion involved in it. So here's what I'm gonna do, God. I'm gonna forgive them and put them on your hook and let you take care of this. Now let me tell you what happens when that happens. You get a chance to begin to heal up. God works in your heart to heal you up. And he takes over in ways you have no idea. If you don't believe that God works in those mysterious ways, then look at, again at the life of King David. David, after the issue with Bathsheba, he, he began to waste away to the point that he writes in, in the book of Psalms, my body was wasting away, my bones were hurting. Why? Because there were people out there pointing the finger at him? No, because God was at work in his heart telling him, You're, you were wrong. 
You need to change. You need to repent. Leave it to God. Leave it in his hands. Now, the third scenario here is in verse 40, where he's going to tell us to be gracious. And he says, and if, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. I mean, that's a pretty simple thing. Look, in the midst of this battle, going back and forth, don't quibble over these things. Just be gracious. Verse 41, scenario number four He says, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, this is predicated on the Romans being there at this time. You see, Roman law said that if a Roman soldier comes to you and says, I need you to carry my stuff, and the stuff at that point would have been like a spear or his his big shield there, this stuff would have been very heavy. Or my pack. By Roman law, you had to carry it one mile. What they're saying here is, look, if they come to you and ask you to carry it a mile, blow their minds and carry it two miles. Because you know what will happen in that second mile? He'll keep looking at you going, how could you do this? How could you let yourself be done wrong? Because now I'm beginning to think I did this wrong. And you get a chance to talk about a God who works inside of you. Go the extra mile. Show him that you are different. Scenario number five in verse 42 tells us to give freely. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. The problem here in all of this is this person in verses 38 through 42 sounds a little bit like a doormat. Doesn't it? I'm not gonna let people do that to me. I've probably said that. I've heard that so many times. Well, I'm not gonna let anybody treat me like that. You have a long way to go for God to begin to work in your life. And trust me, he will challenge that. You see, God is looking for that shell on the outside of us that we control to get broken and let him be in control. Anytime you have a servant's attitude, anytime, you're going to get viewed as a doormat. But the truth is, you are never more like Christ than when you look like a servant. I mean, Matthew 16, he told us, he says, you know, look, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. That's who you're called to be like. And so when you look at these scenarios or these five scenarios here, it almost looks like, man, you look at this list and it looks like something that only Jesus could do. Are you, man, this is so hard. I mean, you don't want me to, to get even. You want me to be gracious. You want me to go the extra mile. I, I'm not supposed to retaliate in any possible way. You want me to give to all these people? It looks kind of like you're asking me to be like Jesus. The answer is, of course he is. Of course he is. He's our model. That's why Paul in Philippians chapter two, verses three through eight would say this. He say, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not on his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Hold on to that phrase right there. 
He says, but who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You say, well, this is just too hard. No, it's not. It's yours in Christ. It is possible for God to use you as a servant and be done wrong and yet be done exactly as God wants you to do because you're going to have a powerful impact on the people that are doing it. See, Jesus isn't calling us to live natural lives like people in the world. That's what he's confronting. He's confronting the scribes and the Pharisees because they were saying, I'm not going to live like that. And he's saying, that's your problem. It's all about you. He's calling us to live supernatural lives, lives that have been changed, lives that have the Holy Spirit inside of us to empower us through what doesn't look like it's just. The question is, can you? Can I? Would you? Will I? I want to encourage you that this challenges, the challenges that are coming along in this part of Matthew here are challenging who we are at our core. This is a challenge for you to speak truth and to be gracious. It's my prayer that that will be true of us as a church. Would you pray with me? Father, when Jesus spoke those words, there had to be tension in the crowd because it went against everything that the scribes and the Pharisees believed was true. They could keep their their dignity in the world and they could keep their dignity even before you instead of being humble. And Lord, you, you, you called them out just as you call us out now. Help us to be the men and the women you've called us to be, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Whenever we open our mouth, it reveals what's in our hearts. Whenever we respond to mistreatment, evil, unkindness, it reveals who rules our heart. This week, let what comes out of our mouths and how we respond honor God. I love you all. God bless you guys. 